You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the Daily Hammer, your daily news source when it comes to the Atlanta Braves as part of the Battery Power Podcast Network. My name is Sean Coleman. Always a pleasure to be with you. You can catch all of the great content for the Battery Power Podcast Network. Wherever you get your podcast, that's where we'll be for free. Just hit that subscribe button. But I'm really excited about this edition of the Daily Hammer because I'm very pleased to welcome one of the better-known names when it comes to the prospect community. He's been a go-to name, especially when it comes to the international scene for, for going on nearly 20 years now, not to make him feel too old, but his name is <laughs> ben, ben Badler uh, from Baseball America. Of course, again, just a, a source this time a year that many around baseball know for the wonderful job that he does, you know, really helping to educate the rest of us about the international scene and letting us get to know some of these prospects that could be, you know, the faces of baseball one day. But Ben, thank you so much for taking the time. It's a pleasure to talk with you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate all the kind words. Yeah, I remember when I started at Baseball America, I would talk about how much I really love talking to these guys who've been doing you know, scouts or pitching coaches, guys who've been in the game for so long, 20, 30 plus years. And now as I'm getting closer to that, it's like, oh, it's a kind of a double edged sword for having having a lot more experience and also realizing that, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely getting old. Well, it, it been, I'll ask you this question just, just in general for those of us who just, you know, thrive for, for, you know, getting to know, you know, as much about kind of how the inner workings of times like this on the baseball calendar works. You know, as you mentioned, it's been 15 or so years with Baseball America that you've been covering this, especially on the international scene, just in terms of the overall ability to identify talent at such a young age that these teams have to do. That is an inexact science. It has mm -hmm. to be a tall task for many of these teams. But just how much have you been, you know, has it caught your eye that the way teams go about identifying that talent, that, that how advanced it is now compared to even 15 years ago, the changes of things, just how has it really, you know, struck you in terms of how much things have changed even over the past 10 to 15 years? Yeah, things are a lot different now than they were 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Uh, and th a lot of things have changed in just the last few years. I, I mean, certainly compared to 15 years ago, I remember being on the phone with international scouting directors, talking to them about players they had just signed, uh, and in some cases just signed for a million dollars, $2 million, a lot of money. Uh, and at that time, teams were giving out pretty significant bonuses to players who, you know, it, it varies from player to player and team to team, but uh, a lot of times they hadn't seen the players playing in a lot of games. Uh, it was a lot of uh, workout settings, uh, you know, BP, infield, outfield, run the 60-yard dash, um, maybe some, some live BP, sim game type stuff at their academy that they would do, but uh, it's become a lot more sophisticated, now in terms of how 
teams are evaluating players in, in a lot more games. There is a lot more of a game culture now, I think, in the especially in the Dominican Republic than there was, say, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, teams are devoting a lot more resources toward international scouting now than they used to. Just the, the scouting departments are bigger. Uh, the technology that teams are using to uh, evaluate players are is different. I, I mean, you know, you can probably think of things like, you know, TrackMan, Rapsodo, the, those kind of different tools that teams use. But but even something as basic as like you know, the iPhone, which was like just coming out maybe back in uh, 2007, 2008. There's there's so much more ubiquitous video that teams have at their disposal that they can easily share and communicate uh, internally instantaneously when they're out seeing players. So uh, I think the, in, in some sense, the ability, the teams have gotten much more comprehensive and thorough in their process of evaluating players and the resources that they're dedicating to evaluating players. On the other hand, you know, back say in, you know, 2000, uh, I would say like 15 when, you know, if a player reached an agreement to sign with a team, say a year in advance of when he became officially eligible to sign, that was like, whoa, like this is really early. Whereas now it's pretty commonplace for teams to be, to be reaching agreements to sign players for, uh, you know, say January 15th, 2024, as far back as, you know, two, three plus years uh, in some cases. So uh, while teams might be more thorough now or just be using more resources to evaluate these players, they're also having, uh, or they also are, I should say, they don't have to, but they are making these decisions on players at a younger and younger age, uh, which, you know, just by default means they're making decisions based on uh, less history and less looks uh, or fewer looks on these guys than really would be uh, ideal. And obviously at a younger age, which, you know, it's hard enough to try to figure out what these players are going to be when they're 16 years old uh, to try to make decisions on these players when they're 13 and 14 and, and predict the future of what these guys are going to be in their twenties uh, is, um, you know, extreme, extremely difficult. Yeah, I couldn't imagine sitting here. That's why I kind of, you know, like the international signing period for me, some may think that it's like a draft within itself. No, this feels like more kind of like college recruiting, you know, college football yeah. recruiting, if you will, because you're talking about trying to project what these talents are going to be when they're, you know, potentially, you know, when you start first interacting with them at 12 or 13, you then sign them when they're 16, trying to figure out what they're going to be at 20. That's a lot of projection that it's just hard to do. And so I, I, I certainly, it's great that it's become more sophisticated to where teams can have more confidence in what they're investing. But let's get right to the Braves. You talk about the fact that nowadays, you know, it's usually known months or even a year in advance, you know, which teams are really, you know, focusing on which specific players in that specific international signing period. And for the Braves, that so happened to be infielder Jose Padermo, I believe, you know, considered by many to be a top three 
prospect in this year's class. It's it's been known for you know nearly a year before you know just a, a week ago when we signed him. Invested five million dollars in him. He's got some lofty comparisons. Ben, I saw there being a comparison out there. Potentially a young Miguel Cabrera. You know, take that for for what it's worth. But Jose Padermo stands out as someone that could stick, for instance, at the shortstop spot. But there seems to also be a lot of good projection when it comes to his bat. A really solid hit tool. Maybe not necessarily otherworldly power, but just an overall good approach. When it comes to Jose Padermo, Ben, what should Braves fans be looking out for him? What about him should they get excited about? Yeah, I think you you hit it. It's the the bat, especially is the calling card for him. He's uh, you know he's been a super advanced offensive player from you know I, he's still young. He's seventeen, but from the time he was very young when. Uh, you know, it was a showcase in Florida at one point with him and Ethan Salas, who was the class before him. I mean, it sounds crazy to say because Ethan Salas is now in double A with the Padres already at 17 years old uh, and is a top 10 prospect in all of baseball. But uh, that's really when there was a lot of buzz. Uh, this might have even going back to 2020 or maybe just after that. But uh, this, this was a few years ago. Uh, those two guys were out there putting on a show. Um, and Perdomo really established himself as one of the elite prospects in this class, especially for uh, what he's able to do at the plate. Um, you know, I think the comparison I hear a lot with him is, is Glaber Torres um, probably some just geographical bias in that too. Being he's from another, you know, another Venezuelan shortstop who was the, you know, the top player in Venezuela when he signed uh, back in uh, 2013 with the Cubs Um just a you know a knack for making a lot of contacts, uh, pretty simple swing, squares up, all all different types of pitches, pretty good back control. Um, he's not you know he's not six three hulking guy with you know gigantic raw power, but uh, you know there's some explosiveness to his swing. There is some power in there to go with the you know the hitting ability that he has, and then you know defensively put him out at shortstop, see how long he can stay there. Kind of like Glaber Torres, who, you know, has played shortstop, has played second base. Um, we'll see. Sometimes guys surprise you end up getting better defensively and are able to stick at that uh, position. Um, you know, Xander Bogarts was a, a guy like that. Bo Bichette was a player like that. I mean, Corey Seager, a very different body type, obviously, but, uh, you know, guys, somebody who, scouts that would move to third base and no, he ended up staying at, at shortstop and, and being uh, obviously a, a franchise cornerstone type guy. So um, yeah, you know, so whether it's shortstop or maybe ends up being second base, third base um, we'll see, but uh, I think especially offensively, he's somebody who I'd expect to go out. Um, and if they, you know, I assume they'll send him to the Dominican summer league. And if he goes out there, I expect him to be one of the, the better hitters right away, right off the bat. And and I think that there's, you know, potential levels that you're looking at it. And from what you're saying, Ben, it seems like all these levels are potentially there for Padermo. You know, is he a player who, you know, the value of him is, is that he could be above average bat for a, a guy that could stick at shortstop? You know, that's one player profile. Or there's the player profile of being a true difference maker at the top of any order. You're saying all of those potential future outcomes are on the table for Padermo. And he's shown good productivity so far, you know, at where he is. He's shown advantage productivity to where he could be that type of player. You know, he could have the special bat even if he moves off a shortstop, but it could become even more valuable because he still has a chance to stick at shortstop. 
Yeah, I mean, like uh, with seventeen-year-old players, it's hard to put like a, a ceiling or a true upside on these guys when um, you know you might guys might still grow another couple inches at that age. You never know, um, so it's hard to place a true ceiling on a player. But yeah, I, I think the offensive ability that he has would you know certainly has, has a good chance to project well at, at shortstop. But if he does go to second or third base. Uh, it's the type of offensive upside that uh, could project well at those positions too. I mean, you know, it's like Glaber Torres. It's, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, his, he was, I think 22 years old. He hit uh, almost 40 home runs his second year in the big leagues. And especially those first two years, he uh, looked like a, a monster. And uh, more recently, yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> maybe a polarizing player among uh, Yankees fans for some reason, but still, uh, I think a very, good player. I could see some, uh, an outcome, uh, kind of along those lines for, for him. Hey, that that's exciting to hear. I remember, I believe it was Torres. Was it 2019 when he hit the 40 home runs? He was, he was about as fun of a young player as, as you've seen in a while. So if that's a potential outcome out there for Padermo, that definitely is, is high, high praise. Um, Ben want to also, you know, though, talk about it. Cause when it comes to, you know, these international signing classes, for many teams, it feels like it's a game of quantity. I think that may be oversimplifying it a bit, but because of the fact that these players are so young, you know, you may not know as much about them as, as those that, you know, grow up in the States, things such as that. You know, a lot of these teams are really looking to just get as much talent as they can in a collective class and then get it into their system and see how those, you know, um, how that quantity matures. And this class specifically for the Braves, I believe another name that's out there is another position player, Juan Espinal, but just a couple of other names in the Braves class that, you know, kind of intrigue you, these one or two guys outside of Perdermo could be some names to follow that you think could reach, you know, higher standards than maybe is expected of them right now. Yeah, I think uh, for a lot of the classes, you know, wait and see. I mean, yeah, you mentioned uh, Juan Espinal, uh, Juan Mateo to a shortstop they signed out of the Dominican Republic. Um, You know, they gave most of their bonus pool to uh, almost all of it to Perdomo and then, you know, a couple position players uh, and then a whole bunch of arms. And I, I think it's, it's tough with uh, the arms. They, they can come out of anywhere. Um, $10,000, $50,000, $500,000, um, great pitchers. I mean, you just look at the whole Astros <laughs> uh, rotation practically uh, of, of, uh, you know, guys like, uh, Christian Javier, uh, all, all these players they signed for like 10 grand, uh, 100 grand, smaller bonus guys, guys who signed when they were older, uh, and then just end up popping uh, later on. And, you know, like Luis Garcia, those those kind of guys, Framber Valdez. So um, I'm sure there will be somebody in uh, this group or probably will be somebody in this group that kind of pops later on. But uh, for now, it's a bunch of kind of, you know, longer deeper range projection arms and then you know a year from now two years from now one of these guys will be throwing 99 miles an hour and i'll get a text from a scout asking me who this is uh they just saw him on a you know backfield in uh florida and then i'll have to find out who he is too so uh kind of wait wait and see still on a lot of these guys because the braves did have the strategy this year of basically uh putting putting most of their money into uh signing jose perdomo this year 
So Ben, we've seen, you know, I think we're now getting into, you know, it actually was, you know, near over seven years ago, the, uh, of course, the international signing scandal with the Braves that really impacted their ability for years mm-hmm. to add talent on the international scene. But one of the calling cards of Alex Anthopoulos' tenure, especially over the past few years, I think Baseball America recently did an article where they ranked all of the 30 teams based on their success of drafting pitchers and then translating those draft picks into success. The Braves were fifth in terms of looking at the draft itself, but the Braves in terms terms of, you know, you just mentioned that they brought in a lot of arms in this class. Your thoughts on the Braves developing the arms that comes from these international classes? We know they've had success in taking, you know, older prospects in the draft recently and have them moving quickly through their minor league system. But what about the Braves approach when it comes to these younger arms lower in the minors that could take multiple years to be able to develop? Do you feel strongly about the Braves' ability to do that as we continue to see the Braves, you know, put up their stockpile of arms because we're going to have questions at the major league level, you know, sooner rather than later. The Braves' ability to really develop these international arms at the lower minor league level, your thoughts on that? Um, Yeah, I mean, if, you know, I guess in theory, if you're able to, you know, if you have a knack for developing pitching, it it should show up both um, domestically with your draft picks as well as with your international signings. But uh, at the same time, it's, um, you know, one thing if you're, being given Spencer Schreider <laughs> to develop uh, as, uh, you know, opposed to, you know, somebody who's a, a lot further away and, and a lot less refined. And yeah, I think that's probably one area where uh, you'd like to see more from the Braves. I mean, like you just look at their top 30 prospects right now, and it's certainly understandable why there aren't a ton of uh, big position players in the system right now, just given all, all of the sanctions that they had and the uh, the signing penalties and the limitations they had, but um, you know they could still sign some players for lower bonuses, uh, which is typically where you get you know you can still get good arms from. And uh, you just look through their top thirty prospects right now, and you don't see a lot of uh, you know international pitching prospects coming through. So it probably would be an area where. Uh, you'd probably like to see a little bit more from them in terms of the uh, uh, international pitching coming through for for them. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And on the flip side of that, though, is that, you know, to your point, we've seen, you know, the position probably the Braves have had great success, you know, over the past five years of their highly touted prospects, position prospects, translating to major league success. That's why they've arguably got the best long-term core of position players in the major leagues right now. But Mm -hmm. you talked about that 30, that top 30 prospects, and in particular, their top 10 position prospects. I think the majority of them 
come from, you know, recent international signing classes. And so it's good to see that we're restocking the minors. You know, Perdomo this year, we had Luis Guanipa, who seems to be a very intriguing prospect from last year. How are you, how effective do you feel the Braves have been at restocking the lower level of their minors, particularly with intriguing um, position prospect talent that could impact us at the major leagues or potentially could be there as assets to use in trades in the future? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, you're, you're just kind of like starting to see that now. I mean, like even like you mentioned with Guanipa, you know, he was in the Dominican Summer League um, this past year. So, um, you know, take a guy or a guy like Diego Benitez, who's in their top 32 still, you know, it was in the Florida Complex League this year. So uh, it just takes it takes a long time to um you know, to, to kind of recover from the sanctions that they had internationally. If, you know, you just like you look at the upper levels of the system or, or just guys who have reached full season ball for the Braves from in terms of international prospects, it's it's definitely an area that's lacking. Uh, but you're starting to see some of these guys come through. I mean, I, I think Perdomo is the best of of this bunch. Uh, like, you know, I thought like, you know, Benitez and Guanipa, uh, were good prospects and and Douglas Claude too uh, was an interesting guy He's still in their top 30 right now but um you know and Bioris Tavares who, who they signed uh, a few years back but uh yeah it, it just takes it takes a while for these guys to matriculate up through the the upper levels and I, I think Perdomo seems certainly is the, uh, the the most highly regarded of the guys at the time that they they signed and, and been sticking with, you know, looking at, you know, in, in terms of, you know, baseball in general and, and when it comes to trying to identify, the, you know, the, the the best of the best talents when it comes to this age range on the international scene. Jonathan Cruz, the uh, scout, the international scouting director for the Braves, you know, he talked about, you know, how they really identified Perdermo and they talked about, you know, I believe that they really started, you know, noticing him at 12. And what stood out to them was that against more mature competition, his ability to adjust at the plate is what really made sense. Again, you talked about how hard it is to really identify with certainty traits about these players at this age. But when it comes to, you know, really identifying these guys that could be special talents, is it is it as easy as looking at how they do against more mature competition? Is it identifying guys that, you know, can adjust quickly at the plate? You know, are you looking at guys that, you know, you definitely think could, you know, consistently make hard contact? Is it is it kind of seeing which players have multiple offensive traits that, you know, easily can translate as they get older? Or is there something more specific that really helps you be able to pick out the special talents among a amongst a group of prospects this young yeah i wish there was like a an easy formula to be able to figure it out uh, every team looks at it or prioritizes things differently um some teams or some scouts more heavily weight uh, a player's ability to uh, play a premium position or premium athleticism uh, or or tools other teams or other scouts place a higher weight on uh, just the player's instincts and feel for the game or just the, uh, you know, the player's feel for, for hitting right now. Um, I, I t you know, I'm somewhere in the middle, although I do tend to gravitate toward more toward players who have that knack for hitting in games right now, uh, especially if they have a swing that should translate at higher levels, obviously when you're, you know, you're younger, you're not facing as good velocity, you're just as good pitching. You can 
uh, get away if you're get away with stuff if you're big, strong, you can hit the ball hard, you've matured early physically, uh, but you have a longer swing uh, and you can hit a fastball. So uh, those guys can look really good sometimes when they're young and then get uh, exposed as they move up because there's more holes in their swing and more flaws in their approach. So if you see a, a young hitter who, you know, who has a good swing, it's, it's short, it's compact, uh, good path through the zone, has a good approach at the plate. seems like he has a, an understanding of the strike zone. Uh, is not just trying to pull everything, but has some ability to uh, manipulate the barrel, use the, use the whole field, uh, you know, hit not just fastballs, but off-speed stuff too. Uh, but again, at that age, like how much good off-speed stuff have they uh, really seen? Uh, and then, uh, you know, their their ability to impact the ball is great too. But, um, you know, <laughs> there's only so many hitters down there at that age who uh, are very uh, complete hitters like that. And then obviously the position uh, is a, a big factor too. So um, sometimes you have a, a really good hitter, but they are, you know, already at third base or, or a corner outfield position, they might have to move to first base uh, eventually or, or just not provide a, whole, provide a whole bunch of defensive value. So uh, just a bunch of different factors you're trying to wait. So when you, you know, you see a guy like Perdomo who, you know, maybe it's not a slam dunk shortstop, but has a, a chance at least to stay there. And if not, will play, you know, second or, or third base and has that very advanced hitting ability and has shown that pretty consistently when he has been, in games and facing live pitching, facing, like you said, older, more advanced arms. Uh, those are, those are really good building blocks to start from. So a very good foundation to have in the, in a young hitter and just a, a young prospect overall. Absolutely. And then this was why I was so looking forward to talking with you. Just great insight on just how difficult it is. But to your point, having something that can be so difficult of a task to complete, but also having so many different ways in which you can try to create as much certainty as possible. It's just it's fascinating to, to learn more about. But Ben, I'll uh, take us away a little bit from the international scene and get a little bit more brave centric because i know that obviously your talent you know consists of you know the the, the covering the minor leagues in general so i want to get a, a few thoughts of, of yours as well you know two off seasons ago you know everybody in braves country was excited about the world series but even the fact that you know we had this young core led by acuna yeah he was coming off an injury but led by acuna led by austin riley the acquisition of matt olson so on and so forth but i don't think anyone even two years ago could have predicted the impact that both Spencer Strider and Michael Harris II made their rookie years in 2022, then validating it in their sophomore seasons in 2023. Just your thoughts on that combo that just seemed to now give the Braves the depth that they needed, especially Strider in the rotation. Did you think these two would be at the level that they are so quickly into their major league career? And just how beneficial is it to the Braves' future for having that combo emerge on the scene and, and to have as bright a future? as they have no they both exceeded expectations certainly for where they were drafted uh, and you know how they were thought of early in their careers as prospects not that spencer strider had a whole <laughs> not that either of them had a very long career as a prospect they just got to the big leagues so quickly so um yeah i mean like for you know to have those guys in, in addition obviously to all the other players you mentioned who are locked up for uh, such a long time with the Braves. It's like, it's just incredible to have that young core where, you know, we have guys who are 
you know, certainly Michael Harris's age and then even Spencer Strider's age, who are still prospects who are in top thirties right now. Uh, and Spencer Strider is leading the league in strikeouts. And Michael Harris is one of the best, uh, you know, better young outfielders in the major leagues right now. So yeah, it's, you know, to hit, to hit on those guys in the draft to get there so quickly uh, is, is pretty exceptional. And then being, you know, going to the prospects that are actually there now, you know, I know that, you know, it's a duo of pitching prospects. Hurst and Waldrop, our top pick from the 23 draft, A.J. smith Shaver, who we got glimpses of this past year um, at the major league level, who who did, you know, very well, you know, with aggressively as the Braves pushed him. You know, those are names that, you know, the Braves country is going to be familiar with. That's who we're going to be watching for. But just want to get your thoughts. You know, I know that y'all are working on your top 30 lists, and you know, I know a lot, a lot of outlets are working on different top 100 lists. Uh, Nacho Alvarez is a position prospect that I think starting to get a little bit more of attention on him. But putting those players aside, just one or two names both from the arms perspective and the bat perspective that really intrigue you you know as you go down you know in the brave system just a couple of prospects you think you think within the brave system who start who could start catching some attention this year that braves country should look out for yeah i think kate Kuehler is an interesting one um their second round comp pick out of uh campbell last year it's uh kind of a sneaky fastball i mean i don't know it's like I don't know. Sneaky is like the right word. It's I mean, he's up to 98 miles an hour, but uh, just some traits that help the fastball play up. It's just got a lot of riding life on it. He's got that short takeaway in the back and uh, really hides the ball well. So it just seems to sneak up on hitters faster than they would expect just based on the velocity, which is already again <laughs> good velocity. It's not like he's out there throwing uh, 89 miles an hour, but um, you know, good slider to, uh, how people like question the, uh, the delivery and, and all that, but, um, you know, whether he ends a bullpen or, or starter long-term, uh, that kind of stuff. But I, I think there's, he's got a chance to, um, you know, maybe be another guy who moves pretty quickly. Somebody who I think is going to have some type of major league role for them. And then, um, yeah, like, you know, mentioned, you mentioned Luis Guanipa, who's further down the system, big international signing for him uh, a couple of years ago at a, you know, okay year this year in in the dsl i'm, I'm curious to see if he can take another uh leap forward because there's definitely tools in there um but uh see how it translates like you said i think the system's definitely heavier on the the pitching side and, and the young arms right now uh than it is on on the position players and then, and then being uh, getting here with Ben Badler of, of Baseball America again, one of the the, the best when it comes to uh, prospect coverage in baseball. One last question for you. So, so thirty one years ago, now I, I'm going to reveal my age a bit here because you know, um, thirty one years ago we signed a sixteen year old at a Curacao, and, and I remember this sixteen year old coming on the scene uh, in the nineteen ninety six World Series as a as a nineteen year old then hitting those two big home runs. And now it's hard to believe it's three decades later, but he's he's starting to knock on the door when it comes to the Hall of Fame. We just saw the Hall of Fame class announced, you know, of course, Billy Wagner just missing it, Gary Sheffield. But then there was Andrew Jones. And and I, I have to feel that he probably is one of the, the, the best stories when it comes to a player who was signed on the international scene that, you know, turned into such a great two-way player for the Braves in, in the late 90s and early 2000s. Just your thoughts on him as to what you may know about you know the time that he was leading up from the international scene to being as productive as a player as he was to the Braves and his overall you know Hall of Fame profile your thoughts on him eventually you know reaching that ultimate goal 
Yeah, he does. He does actually predate my time at uh, Baseball America. I know J.J. Cooper covered him when he was in the minor leagues. Uh, obviously, he was not, you know, <laughs> in the minor leagues very, very long, uh, being 19 years old, doing what he did in the postseason. Uh, I'll, I'll always, uh, you know, I'm sure everyone listening to here will always remember that uh, pretty special World Series that he had that year. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised he is not already in the hall of fame. I, I know, you know, w- once he got to his early thirties, things fell off pretty quickly for him, but I, I think you just look at the totality of his career, uh, the peak that he had when he was in his twenties, you add the postseason into it. Uh, that's a hall of famer to me. I, I mean, I guess you could say maybe he's a, a borderline kind of guy, but I, I think he's, I think he belongs in there. And I think too, it's this maybe a subjective factor, but if you are, if you're the, if you're also just the greatest of all time at a specific thing, which I would consider Andrew Jones to be the best defensive center fielder of all time. Um, I mean, you could debate whether he's one or, or not, but he's, he's certainly <laughs> at least belongs in that conversation. Um, I, I think that's another point in his favor. I mean, it's not like he was just an all glove guy either. <laughs> it was consistently hitting uh, 30, 35 home runs, uh, hit over four home, four, excuse me, 400 home runs in his career was a, a great offensive player too. But um, he, he was, uh, in addition to being a, a great offensive player, he was, uh, you know, arguably the best defender of all time at a premium position in the middle of the diamond uh to me you know i'll I'll have a vote uh, at some point i think coming up in these next few years for the hall of fame uh i'm hoping he already uh will be in at that point because to me he's he's a hall of famer absolutely forgive me ben i did not mean to insinuate you were there covering him i knew that wasn't the case oh yeah no i know i just (laughs) yeah i just I figured from the connections that you have, you know, just getting your insight on, on what it was like covering him through there. But I, I agree with you. You hit the nail on the head. You, you know, his offensive numbers themselves, sure, they may not stand out, especially with the fact that, you know, he he did kind of fall off after 30. But when you combine what he was doing offensively with just how spectacular he was, and, and you know, I won't say he's unprecedented in terms of a center field defense because I don't want to show any disrespect from any that came before him. But he, the, the his coverage, his plays – it's just hard to compare, you know, many others to what he did out there. So when you get those two factors in there, I agree with you. And I, I certainly am with you. I hope within the next year or two, we'll, we'll be having a discussion about how deserved it is that he's on his way to Cooperstown, but Ben, please, uh, it, it has been an absolute joy getting to talk with you. Some great insight as was expected. Thank you for taking the time. What can our listeners and those that follow uh, battery power, uh, what can they look forward to from you at, at baseball America and things such as is that in the lead up to the 2024 season? Yeah, we've got right now our, our top 100 prospects list is up. Uh, we just released top 30 prospects for uh, all 30 teams. So scouting reports, all 30 players, uh, the BA grades, um, tools grades for every player. Uh, and we're just, you know, throughout the season, we're constantly updating these lists uh, every uh, every month we're updating our top 100, we're updating our top 30s throughout the season because we're constantly talking to scouts, uh, coaches, front office executives to you know make sure our 
our information and our order on these players is, um, isn't stale, you know, so like it's, you know, trade dad, trade deadline comes around. We want to make sure our, uh, you know, how we have these players lined up is, yeah, it's, it's just subjective, but we want to make sure it's, it's, it's up to date. Uh, cause a lot of things can change in a, you know, a short amount of time during the season. So we try to dedicate a lot of resources to keep our, our rankings up to date and keep churning out reports, uh, obviously on the, the pro side, but, uh, for, for the draft, uh, high school prospects, college prospects, college baseball, uh, everything, uh, involved in the, uh, in the prospect world. So I always appreciate everybody for, uh, subscribing to, to baseball America. So we were able to, to make that all happen. Absolutely. And make sure you check out Ben at Ben Badler. Of course, he does work for um, uh, Baseball America. Also, uh, a, a former member of Battery Power, Car- Carlos Calazo, and him and, and Ben do uh, the Future Projection podcast. So uh, just a, a lot of great content from Ben. Ben, as I mentioned, I don't mean to be repetitive, but it was an absolute joy getting to talk with you. If you'll stick with us for just a second after the podcast. But thank you so much for the insight and your time this afternoon. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Sean. Yep. His name is Ben Badler. Again, you can find all his great work at Ben Badler um, on X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it. Of course, at Baseball America as well. Make sure you get out there and, and support his great content. My name is Sean Coleman. You can find me at StatsSAC as well. Find all the great content when it comes to BatteryPower.com or at the Battery Power podcast at BatteryPower.com, at Battery Power SB and across all forms of social media and free on all podcast platforms. For Ben Badler, my name is Sean Coleman. Thank you for joining us. Go Braves. We'll talk to you again soon here on The Daily Hand. Hammer.